Welcome to Blended TV, created to bring you compelling interviews, insight into world events, and educational life lessons from some of the most respected people within our community. Everybody has a story, and there's something to be learned from every experience. Hosted by David Rafies, CEO and founder of Blended Athletics. This episode unpacks one of the hottest topics in the economy today, real estate. David's guests include Anne De Silva and Scott Lieberman, who have a combined experience of over 25 years in real estate. Anne has been a realtor and a broker for 17 years. She is currently the broker of Keller Williams Select Realty, where she supervises and trains nearly 200 agents within their businesses. Anne is a past president of the Nova Scotia Association of Realtors and the former chair of Professional Standards Committee for Realtors in Nova Scotia. Scott grew up in HRM and has strong ties to the community in which he's proud to call home and do business. After spending a lifetime working in his family's roofing and construction business, he utilizes his construction background and sales to help his clients attain their real estate goals. Welcome to Blended TV. My name's Dave Rafus, and tonight we are going to dig into one of the hottest topics in our economy right now, real estate. And with us tonight, I have two guests with over 25 years of experience in real estate. My first guest is Scott Lieberman. And Scott, we're gonna dive into this two feet in. What's going on in this market right now? Why is it so hot? It's a question I get asked every day. Um, honestly, the biggest contributing factor right now is just a plain and simple inventory shortage. So right now in September 2020, we are operating at about 54% of homes for sale that we would have had this time last year, so literally half. So right now there's just not much for sale because demand is so far weighing supply. And the question I always, I always get after that is, well, geez, why is there such few homes for sale and how can there be so many buyers with COVID and the crazy 2020 that we've had? And there's a number of contributing factors. Um, right now, interest rates are almost at a historical low. I think the last posted rate I saw was 1.89 for a five-year fix, so it's almost free money. So people that were, you know, six months ago could afford a $300,000 house, now can afford a $330,000, $340,000 house. So they have a few more dollars to throw into the pot, which is oftentimes why you see homes going over ask. And a couple of the housing market being as crazy as it is, um, vacancy rates are less than 1%. So landlords right now are, are cashing in as best they can with their tenants, charging you know, whatever they want in many cases. So you've got a lot of renters paying 12, 13, 14, in some cases $1,500. So they're saying, geez, at this rate, let's just go buy a house. So now you've got, you know, cheap money. You've got renters thrown down to the housing market that otherwise might not have been there. Interprovincial migration is, is really up, I find. Um, people are seeing Atlanta, Canada, specifically Halifax, and they're saying, well, that's a really affordable place to live with so much uncertainty in the world and my ability now to work from home. Why don't I keep my job in Toronto and move to Halifax? I've done two deals this year that, that, have, that have played out that way. So you see a lot of interprovincial -migra inter migration and immigration itself is steady. So you've got all these buyers clamoring over the same product and sellers are sitting there watching prices rise. So we've seen 9.9% uh, appreciation year over year, which is staggering. I mean, it's obviously What's not- What's typical year? Typical year is 2%. Right, so you know, almost 10% year-over-year appreciation. So the average, um, the average uh, price for home right now in Elfax is 346,000. It was like 315 last year. So it's just crazy. And, and again, it's just simple economics. It's supply and demand, and demand right now is far outweighing supply. So I mean, in today, like as you were saying, with COVID and being in the middle of this 
basically crisis across our entire globe. Is this only in Nova Scotia that we're seeing our mar like the real estate market as a whole kind of so hot? Like what's, what are we seeing elsewhere in the country? I think elsewhere it's, it's, it's here locally, like we, do, we typically don't have a volatile market here. Um, it's very steady, it, it ebbs and flows and there's not huge crashes and not huge spikes. Um, whereas, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, you can see that relatively uh, often. Um, in, in different markets around, around Canada, it's a little bit different, but here, here specifically, it is just as hot as it's ever been. I, I answered this question the other day to a, at a listing appointment. Someone said, is it really a good time to sell? I said, literally, it's the best seller's market that's ever been in the history of Nova Scotia. So if you think it's a good time, if you think you're on the teetering on the edge of listing, I think that answers it there. So this brings up a good point. What if you are the homeowner and you're thinking about selling, but there's nowhere else to go? Question I get asked all the time as well. I would say this, if you're in a downsized position where you've either got a cottage or you know you're gonna downsize, and I've got two right now that, that, are, that are coming to market, they're moving from here, Halifax, to Tatamagush, so they're loving life. They're sitting there, you know, we're gonna cash out at the absolute peak, and we're gonna go down to you know, Tatamagush, Earltown, and, and rural area, where it's nowhere near this crazy. And that's not to say that rural areas aren't reacting similarly to Halifax because Cape Breton and even the South Shore, there's been spikes there as well. But to those people, I'd say absolutely this. For people that have to sell and then buy, I mean, I've got four clients right now living with their parents. So they said, screw it, we've got an alter alternative plan. We're gonna sell. If we can't find a place before our first place closes, we're just gonna move in with mom and dad. So I've got some that have been there for two weeks, some that are there for six months. They're loving life, no mortgage payment, either riding out to market, which could be a while, or just at least allowing them the flexibility to not have to panic buy. Because that's honestly where you're seeing a lot of people. If you're in the Fairmount area or a really desirable area, say the West End, people that have kids that have to be in a specific school zone that have sold their home. As we just went through the start of school, you saw a big panic there was, okay, I gotta be in that subdivision. I gotta go to that school, so screw it. We'll pay an extra 30 grand. So a lot of my people to answer your question is, I say, look, create a contingency plan. Renting really isn't an option because as I just explained, 1% vacancy in the city. So if you've got family, have that as a plan B. Cash out, sell high, and then at least put yourself in a position where you don't have to splurge and buy something at a premium if you've got a place to stay. So I would just say get creative and, and create a plan B after you've cashed out. So it's just creating that contingency plan. Yeah, you, you really you need to. Because I've had a couple of situations this year that were very stressful. I was basically on call. If I, I had the cottage on a Saturday and the house popped up, I'm gone because my buyers have to go somewhere. We have three weeks to find a property that's got to close by such and such a date. So when you're in those positions, there's a, a, essentially a fictional gun to your head, right? So if you can avoid that, then, then you can navigate this crazy market pretty successfully. But if you have to be gone by this date and it has to be in this specific of an area, then you basically got to get the wallet out at this point, yeah. So we've talked before, um, before the show, about the importance of having a good real estate investor uh, that not only understands like the market as a whole, but you talk a lot about finances with your clients, correct? Yeah, yeah, you really have to. I mean, us as agents, the good ones anyways, like you kind of have to be a psychiatrist in many ways. You have to offer, you know, construction advice, financial advice, and at the same time, we know our limits. I'm not going to sit here and preach about lending like I defer to people that specialize in that but at the same time we're fed information daily but for me I would say the best thing I could advise anyone right now that's out there looking to buy is absolutely have representation uh, make sure that someone that you're working with knows the districts you want to buy in knows the typical 
average annual appreciation. So if it's 1.8, if it's 2%, you can afford to go a little bit over ask with your offer, but don't get carried away, exercise financial discipline. So have a price strategy. So when I get in there in offer situations, I say, look, this is priced accurately to begin with, but there's 10 offers. So we're gonna go to this number and you're probably gonna lose. So just stick here and just realize that you're probably gonna lose. Try to remove the emotion from it. And then that's typically when it ends up happening. Like right now I'm writing four and five offers per client to get one house. But they see the value and not overpaying. And I say then like, just be patient. Something will come up and we'll get the right sweet spot. So, and honestly, right now more than ever, we're leaning on relationships with realtors. Like I just did a deal Friday night where I knew the agent and I said, come on, man, work with me. So he, he you know, knows my track record and knew that I, I'm not gonna bring a lemon of a buyer, so to speak. So, you know, I just, we, I leaned on that relationship and we were able to get a deal done when there was nine showings the next day. So it's almost like take the bird in the hand, right? We had an over-asking offer. There were seven shows the day before, multiple offers. So I said, you know, take this, we'll be solid. And he did. So now more than ever, good relationships with realtors helps too. And are you finding that these deals, specifically in Nova Scotia, like they're happening in Halifax, what's happening elsewhere? You kind of touched on Tatum Gush, but like, Bridgewater, Cape Breton, like, are we seeing this across the entire Yeah, there's, there's no question. There's, there's sales, sales are up everywhere. Um, certainly in HRM, it's the most chaotic, but uh, absolutely, I mean, Cape Breton, there's homes. I, I, I talked to a realtor in, in the Cape Breton region a few weeks back and they said the same thing. They're just, they're just seeing increased activity, whether it's even just showings. You know, we're typically in a rural area, they may get five, 10, 15 showings a listing. They're now getting you know, double that in a much quicker time. May not result in multiple offers like we're seeing here in HRM, but things are still moving. Days on market are way, days on market are down everywhere. You know, if it once took 90 days to sell a house in a specific district, it's not under 64. Like 64 is the average days on market for, for HRM now. So it's, it's it, across the province, it's activities up, but HRM is definitely leading the charge. So uh, supply and demand, I get it. But the economy, like, how long do you think that we're really going to continue to see the market thriving the way it is today with the way that the economy has shifted since COVID? Well, I mean, unemployment levels are the biggest really determining factor there. If, if all of a sudden another wave hits and unemployment spikes, there's going to be a correction. You know, that's something no one can predict. Look, we've done very, very well, certainly in the Atlantic bubble, but that's not something anyone can really predict. But again, really the only way we're going to see any sort of immediate change here is just with inventory creeping up. Um, people say, oh, it's got to crash sometime. It's, I don't think it's going to crash. Everyone I talk to says it's not going to crash. When we get a bit of an increase in, in, in inventory, prices will come down and there'll be a leveling off. There's just simply way too much demand here, specifically in HRM, for this to crash at all. I mean, even just to be specific, West Bedford. I was down the other day talking to a builder and, and they just seem, you know, we start, we're starting to advertise in, in Asia, China, wherever, right? So it's just there's huge money coming over. So there's there's interest coming from Westerners, you know, Ontario, mid-Canada, mid but all over the globe, is they're flocking here just because we have very affordable housing. And specifically with our economy here locally, I mean, you look at, you know, we've got a number of, uh, of hospitals, we've got a number of universities. Um, there's a heavy government population. There's a lot of people that work for the government here. And then you throw in the shipyard, J.D. Irving. There's, a, there's large employee bases here that are solid. So I don't see any craziness going on with our economy here locally. Tourism's obviously down this year, but we just, we're a very sought after area. And now more than ever, we're people looking at the broader scope of the economy in the world going, you know what, if we're gonna have some uncertainty, let's have it there where we've got family and it's just a little bit more affordable to live. So do you think this will continue to push outside of Halifax as well? Like, 
do you think that we'll see growth across our entire province or do you think that the growth within Nova Scotia will remain within our HRM? No, it's definitely going to grow. I mean, there's, they're not making land anymore, right? You're, you're starting to see huge developments out Enfield Way, Elmsdale, uh, Arm Coast pushing out that way. Developers, like I say, they just, you can't make land anymore. So we're pushing out. And I mean, where I live now, where I'm building a house today, you know, 30 years ago, that was the boonies, right? And now it's just the heart of the city. It's, it's the heart of Cool Harbor anyway. So, and, and you know, Enfield in 10 years is going to feel like a hop, skip and jump down the highway. So honestly, it's just going to continue to push out and our density will increase just because it has to. There's just too much demand of people coming to move here. Now, what about with COVID, condos, high rises? Do you see an effect there? Like, are people trying to get outside of like the apartment buildings to get into homes? Or are people still flocking to try to just get anything? Honestly, you think it would slow down. I mean, I have good friends that their father's developers and it's three buildings a year, three buildings a year, three buildings a year, you know, 68 units, 80 units, and people are flocking. So it's just, it's in many ways a license to print money, right? They, they're bringing in, you know, again, a lot of uh, immigration leads that charge. People come in just, we don't really know Halifax, so let's rent here for a while. And again, like I say, 1% vacancy in the city, we can't create enough places for people to go and live. So let's live here for a bit and explore, you know, Halifax for a year or two, and then we'll figure out where we should live. So, and then you've got people downsizing, right? So, you know, to answer your question, I think density is just going to continue to increase. You look at a lot of major developments going on in, in Halifax, there's a lot of teardowns and then they're going up 10 stories. So it's just density is the, is the answer really there. And, and it's no different. We're, we're really trending much like Toronto that regard. It's amazing because it just would never have predicted this to happen. We are in a major boom here, and I, I really don't see it slowing down. They'll be leveling off, but it's not going to crash. It's, we're just going to have more of a, you know, a casual growth as opposed to this 10% year-over-year jump. But, oh, yeah, we're in a boom for sure here in Halifax. I love it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Scott, for coming out. We're coming right back with Anda Silva uh, for more on real estate. We're back, Blended TV, and I have Anda Silva joining me. Uh, still talking about real estate, and thank you so much. I'm excited to have this conversation, and we want to get into the investment side of real estate. Okay. Tell me a little bit about how you get into investing in real estate, especially in today's market. I feel as though it's pretty risky. You and I had a really great pre-conversation to, to discuss this, and it was really exciting to see how we could have that open dialogue to look at a different perspective. And right now, when you're looking at real estate, there's investing for shelter, investing for the building of your own retirement and your own personal wealth, and then there's investing for the business side of it. They're all different, but ultimately, they're all about making sure that the purchase you make is going to accomplish certain financial objectives. So if you're investing for shelter, you're trying to stop renting, like Scott was talking about, and get into that position where instead of spending sixty to $80,000 in five years in rent, that's just gone and you have nothing to show for it, investing in yourself and in your family ultimately creates wealth because the minute you stop paying rent, you start paying yourself every single month. So if you purchased a home for shelter and at the end of five years you didn't pay sixty to $70,000 in rent, you're ahead. You have, you have started to create wealth. And that's something we have to look at that's really important. We, we always say to people, if you sold your home in five years and you sold it for what you paid for today, we have no statistics that show that the Nova Scotia or Halifax market in particular 
go backwards. As Scott mentioned, you know, we're typically 2%. Right now we're in really high percentages, but even at 2%, if you owned your home and you sold it in five years, you're gonna make money and you're gonna have lived for free, which is a pretty good deal. So Amazing it's a deal. great deal, right? I mean, I personally rent still. Um, we'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> so the money that I'm spending right now on rent, essentially what you're saying is that if I were to make that investment into real estate three years from now, based on the historic market. Right. Regular market, forget the 10%. Yeah. Just look at the regular 2% per year, look after your property, you know, mow your lawn, paint your fence, you know, all that kind of stuff, do minor upgrades. If you were to sell your home or refinance your home, you will have built equity because you paid yourself every single month. Although I have rental properties, I'm very grateful for my tenants who pay my mortgage for me. That's the next part of the conversation. But the first thing is to build wealth. Canadians are terrible at saving money and home ownership is one of the number one ways for a homeowner to create wealth, to build wealth for retirement, to be able to leverage and live not in poverty in retirement. And that's really, really important is building that ability to leverage, to be able to have an asset you can secure against to invest in RSPs and lower your income tax and start to purchase other properties or other investments because you have a thing that you can then leverage. When you don't have that piece of equity, it becomes more and more difficult to build wealth. So I could live for free. You could live for free. Well, that right? sounds like a pretty good deal to me. <laughs> The other piece is our seniors. If we look at the aging demographic of our population and how you know, a lot of seniors are downsizing and what happens is they take this cash out of their house and if they go and rent, not that that's not a great option for some people, but sometimes it's maybe taking that budget and hiring someone to shovel the driveway or mow the lawn to be able to keep yourself in your home or looking at condos because your pensions are fixed and they're only indexed to a certain level, but your rent is gonna continue to go up and up and up so you're in this awkward place where your expenses are going up, but your, your income isn't. Yeah. When you own, your costs are going down as you pay your mortgage off, you have certain fixed costs, but then you can have quality of life and that's very important. So in today's market, because of the fact that the market is as hot as it is, yes. is there anyone out there that you would actually suggest to not move forward with investing in real estate at this point in time? Or do you think that's across the board, everyone should be investing in real estate? It's one of the most stable forms of investment because it doesn't hold the same volatility in Nova Scotia. I, I can't speak outside. I'm not an expert in the market outside of Nova Scotia, so I'm going to stick with our, door, our geography. Okay. But here, when you have really stable movement every year, and if you wanted to get out, you can just sell it, right? You're not a victim to you know, the bond market and all those other things and mutual funds the same way. Not that you shouldn't have a balanced portfolio. That's not what we're talking about. Yep. But the concept being, if you purchased a home as an investment and it's a true investment, you're gonna have tenants. It's always about the numbers. When we're looking at an investment, the question is in this heart market, is there someone who shouldn't invest in an investment property? It's usually the pr specific property that may not be the right investment versus is the opportunity not the right. Thing. Yeah. Because a property has to provide enough income to pay the bills, pay the mortgage, pay the taxes, pay the insurance, build a, a cushion for the investor to do repairs and maintenance. It has to be a desirable product that's going to attract a consumer to come and want to sign a lease and live in your property. So is the property the right investment? So how much money would you suggest that someone comes to the table with 
if they're thinking about investing in real estate? Is there like a specific number, like thirty thousand dollars? What keeps them safe? It's going to depend on. It's actually more complicated than that, unfortunately, because it depends on your income as an individual, what you qualify to purchase, what is the rental income from that particular property, how does it generate, how does it offset. So working with a professional realtor, working with right banker and and lawyer to make that team, we work as a team of professionals to help the consumer. So it also depends on your geography. If you are in Digby purchasing an investment property versus you would like to purchase in South End Halifax, my answer is going to be very different as to how much money you need to put down. Well, I mean, and it depends on if you're, are you owner occupying the investment and there's a rental unit downstairs? Is it entirely investment property? Is it one unit, six units? So unfortunately, Dave, I can't give you a black and white answer as to how much money. I would say it's speak with your professional to look at this is how I want, I want to get in the market. What do I do? How do I do it? Yeah. Now, what about the difference between buying land, developing on the land right now, so Mm -hmm. a new build in comparison to like a resale? So they're totally different things. Um, uh, And Scott mentioned it really well, there's very little land left. So if you would like to buy a piece of land and build a house, um, unless you have fairly significant resources, just purchasing land, you're going to have a bit of a commute uh, because most of a lot of the land, especially close to HRM is spoken for. Um, If you're purchasing a new construction in a subdivision, that's, that's different. That's sort of retail priced different than looking at this, the resupply yeah. of you know, resale property. They're, they're different pieces. There's purchasing new construction in a subdivision, there's purchasing land and developing your own custom home, that's another product, and then there's buying resale. They all have different prices, they have different risks, and they require a different level of financial capacity for each one. Now, right now, building a home is more difficult because supply due to COVID has, from what I've been made aware of, has kind of come down, correct? Um, I don't know that I agree with that. Um, no? our, on most of the new build div- subdivisions are selling out extremely quickly. Yeah. What's happened is the developers have been working to change their supply chains. Gotcha. Right, so in some so cases, it, it was a little bit, although I, I know we had four new construction closing throughout COVID and we had no more than one week delays with all of them because the builders, their financial commitment is to get that product finished and get that consumer in. It might have been, for example, their countertop was on back order, so they put a temporary countertop in but got them into the house and then when the countertop arrived, they came in and swapped it out because everybody's working together. The the developer wants their consumer happy and in the home they've built for them. They would like to take the money from the house they're supposed to get to move on to the next project. Uh, I will say that throughout the COVID experience in our industry, I have seen extraordinary communication and cooperation at an amazingly professional level between all the parties, lawyers, bankers, realtors, developers, everybody. Now, Scott had mentioned that he has seen a lot of people um, immigrating into Nova Scotia, coming from Toronto and different areas. Are you seeing the same? Absolutely. Uh, It is uh, as if the pandemic you know, we live in a bit of a bubble. We live in an Atlantic bubble, but we've had a significant amount of Ontario, Alberta, and Vancouver clients moving. We've sold at least 12 homes via video tour only. The clients saw the homes for the first time after receiving their keys and coming out of quarantine. Um, they want out. 
And are these people that moved away from Nova Scotia primarily? No, a lot of them have never lived here before. It's like an oasis. It's like, you know, the palm tree in the in the sand. They want to come here. It's a quality of life. It's the in, the, in our, right now. It's low cases. That's a big piece. Uh, affordable living. You know, sh short commutes. You know, that's another piece. Uh, being able to get a home that's large enough for a home office, have a yard, etc., and uh, and have that quality of life that we have in Atlanta, Canada. So you're expecting to see this continue for months, years? What's, what's your prediction for the next 12 months? Well, I think most professional realtors who do this full time are guardedly optimistic. I think everyone is managing expenses just like all business people and making sure working really carefully with clients. But we have not seen any slowdown specifically. And the federal government is working very strongly to keep the housing market in Canada working because it's one of the largest, if not the largest economic driver in the Canadian economy. It's, we, when we study it, it's called the ripple effect. Someone buys a house, they buy, hire a lawyer, an inspector, they buy a couch, they get a sink, they get a dishwasher, they buy patio stones, they put a kid in school, they pay property taxes, now they take sports. It is the absolute starting point of economic development in a region. So they need to keep the economy moving. And so continuing to keep interest rates low, allowing for various different tax rebates and things to help and encourage consumers to own a home and eventually reduce consumer debt and build wealth is all part of moving the economic economy forward. Okay, so let's go back to my my personal Yes, um, let's talk about position. Dave. Let's, we're <laughs> going to talk about me for a little bit. This is great. Okay. Would you suggest for someone who is a renter to initially their first step would to be buy to buy a home that they're going to live in or is it okay to continue to rent and start to buy investment real estate? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a suggestion yeah. and it, obviously, it always depends on the very specific human and their financial capacity and, and what their tolerance for risk is. So this is a general statement, but I would generally say to start owner occupied. And the reason being is because you only need to put 5% down by law to own a home as an investor and live in it. When you invest, you have to put 20% down when you don't own or occupy it. So initially, it takes a lot longer to save 20% plus your closing costs to be at a leverage point where you break even to start paying yourself. Yeah. So when you own or occupy to start, you put 5% down or 10% or whatever your comfort zone is based on your mortgage payment. You own or occupy for a period of time, then you might choose to then upgrade, rent, keep that property as a rental and then move into the next property. So you're starting to build wealth with the least amount of financial investment of your own cash. Anyone who does investment properties will tell you, you don't want your money in the property. You want the tenants and the investors, essentially your tenants become your investors, to carry the burden of the cost of it. And you wanna leverage your cash to do other things. Okay, one, one last question and you know, Right now, as, as we continue to move forward, is there a potential that this could all come falling down <laughs> and that there be an, an opportunity to get in a lower point? Or are we just gonna continue to see this kind of level off and stay kind of flat? Or, or is it gonna just keep going up? I mean, I think everything will eventually balance. In real estate, we have three terms. We have seller's market, buyer's market, and balanced market. And it's all based on 
the amount of inventory and how long the supply is of inventory. So right now we're in a seller's market because we have very little inventory. We have way more consumers who want to purchase than sellers who are prepared to currently vacate. And so we have this disproportionate balance in the market, which is how we have a seller's market. We're more likely to lean into a slowly edge up and then head towards a balanced market uh, before we were to flip down ever to a, to a buyer's market, which is where that cash opportunity that you're looking for exists. But remember, with interest rates as low as they are, your opportunity is still as profitable and as exciting, even in a seller's market, because your cost of ownership and your overhead is dropped because the money is cheap. When there's a buyer's market, we often see higher interest rates and we start to flip. So your ownership and your profit doesn't necessarily change. I gotta stop watching these YouTube videos. Uh, well, maybe it's the wrong YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Anne. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure much. to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in to Blended TV, our discussion on real estate. We'll be coming back at you next month with a brand new topic. If you wanna hear anything specific, make sure to leave comments below. Thank you for tuning in to Blended TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, review it, and share it. There are no paid ads on Blended TV. All we ask is that if you like it, you leave a review and maybe tell a friend.